You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha, your joyologist. Every week, I have a conversation with someone who intrigue and inspires me. We talk about our stories, the ups and downs, and all of it. The point of Claim It is that it's up to us to claim our joy, to claim our goals, to claim our life, to claim our enoughness. And we do that through these episodes. (laughs) My guest today is Libby Karstensen. I wanted to talk to her because she is a grief recovery specialist, and I have never heard of that. (laughs) And I feel like That's something we could all learn about because, as she talks about in this episode, grief isn't just dealing with the loss, uh, like a death of someone we know. She said, I think that there's 41 different versions of loss, and a lot of them are triggered in childhood and are things that we carry on with us. We talk about our own experiences with grief and loss and how that shaped us and got us into our current uh, work. And we also talk about martyrdom, which I didn't even realize. Um, And then I saw like, oh, I see how I had played a martyr in my life too. (laughs) So I share a lot of deep stuff and deep thoughts that were in me. And and I hope that you get a lot out of it and um, really look into this grief recovery method that she teaches. So here we go. Let's talk death. Death. (laughs) That seems like a good place to start. Well, it seems like, uh, yeah, you've got something, I believe, with death because you are currently dying. (laughs) And so are you. Well, yes. (laughs) But you've got something grief recovery method. So I assume... There's something there. There's some reason you're putting that work out into the world. That's right. I am I am actually really passionate about death. Hmm. Um, you don't hear that. <laughs> you don't you just don't hear that. <laughs> um and and here's why. I think it it starts with a little bit of a backstory. Um, because I don't think most little girls like you know, when I was growing up on a farm in Iowa, I didn't look into the stars at night and say, one day I'm going to be specializing in grief recovery. That is my dream. Like- yeah. <laughs> That's why I was guessing that perhaps you had an experience with yes. death in your own life. Yes. And I have an, a profound experience with death in my own life that have shaped part of me. Oh, I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah. Let's start with you. Okay. <laughs> so um, you're like... I'm asking you questions. No, this is a conversation. (laughs) I will be sharing my story. Okay, Okay, good. Um, So my um, really first experience with death was uh, about three years ago when I had come back from a very transformational trip to Bali. And what I mean by that is I went to Bali thinking it was going to be this deep spiritual experience. But what I found was all that shadow stuff. Like everything within me that was, um, you know, kind of hidden or dark was like there front and center. So while you were there, even like you weren't able to fully enjoy it because you're being confronted with your own shit. I was. Yes. So it started there. And I hear that for a lot of people when they go to Bali, it's like the I'm looking back and forth in my head because I'm like remembering when I went to Bali on my own. 
like it feels like the veil is very thin. Like there's not a, a lot experience. of illusion there. You had a good experience. Yeah, I'm trying to remember it. Yeah. So I had um the experience that I had is that any anything that I had kind of been struggling with. Why did you go to Bali in the first place? Were you escaping? Were you a vacation? Was it a yoga retreat? So I was escaping. And what I found there were was just more of what I was escaping. What were what was your life at the point? What were you escaping? Did something end? Were you not happy in different areas of your life? At that time, I was really burnt out from work. I had been working, working, working. Um, I come from a long line of martyrs. So <laughs> does anyone, anyone else out there martyrdom? <laughs> what was your work at that time? So I was the VP of sales at the Chopra Center. Wow. So VP of sales, but at the Chopra Center, which is like one of the most spiritual yeah. places. People come there exactly. to rejuvenate their spirit, to get connected to their spirit. And I would say learn about their spirit. Anybody that works there, it's also like you get your PhD in um, all your stuff that you're not because it's right there. It's like, again, it's black, it's right there. So I had, um, prior to when I was at the Chopra Center, I was working in radio and entertainment. And when I was there, same thing, martyrdom. So I thought by coming to like- What does that look like in martyrdom? Like you're doing a job you love, yes or no, at some point, working very hard. What does that mean that you're being a martyr in your job? So martyrdom, the way that I look at it is someone who is working, 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 quote unquote, sacrificing for the greater good at the same time, totally denying themselves pleasure. So it's like, you know, the martyr doesn't really see a lot of pleasure in life. It's like, they're the ones who their significance is also drawn from how much responsibility they have. So is that sort of mean you're like, feel like you're I'll pick up the slack. I'll volunteer for this. I'll do this. I'm the one saving the day. Let me do this. Let me do that. But at the same time, then you're kind of like, you don't actually, did you feel recognized? Were you like, do you feel like you're craving recognition or just like, I have to do this because then people think this about me? Like, do you know? I think it's a little bit of both. I think for me, it was, there was a, my recognition and sense of self-worth was always related to my job and what I did. That was true for me in radio. It was true for me at the Chopra Center. And I mean, to a certain extent, it's true for me now, but I think there's a much different relationship to it where I, I'm not coming from martyrdom. I'm truly coming from being from a place of service. Right. And I check myself because like when I start to go into responsibility, like I am doing so many things for others and totally denying myself, like it's not healthy. So when you say that you check yourself and if you're coming from responsibility, meaning like where would you feel like you're venturing back into martyrdom. So when I am saying yes to things, because I think that's what the other person wants me to do. Like maybe they'll like me, maybe they'll, that will show them I'm a hard worker, that I'm this, them, that, and that, rather yeah. than saying like, sure, I'll sub your class. I'm just taking, because I know one of the things you do is yeah. teach yoga. Like, sure, I'll do that because I really want to. And wow, I really feel called to teach more this week. But everybody feel like, oh, I better say yes, because what will she think if I say no or like something like that? Or I want them to think of me as the person that saves the day. Right. Yeah. Like that kind yeah, of. Yeah, exactly. I think very much so. And I think the, you know, the martyr, like I look at that as being the shadow quality of the second chakra. So like the second energy center really tied to our joy and pleasure. 
So the martyr doesn't really find a lot of pleasure in life. <laughs> so in it, this is something that in the work that I do now with like a lot of executives and entrepreneurs, because I do um, coaching, is a lot of things that we work on is like this whole I want to take care of other people before I take care of myself. Mm -hmm. And while that's a strategy that for a lot of people I think works sometimes for decades, at some point, at some point, we get burnt out. And it's not like it's usually like a major like breaking. <laughs> yes. Mental, physical exhaustion. Yeah. And that's where I was. Okay. That's where so I was. You went to Bali. You know, honestly, just to go back and just kind of like give a little compassion to the martyrs, I think when you're in that place of like showing up as the martyr, you're doing it because you think you're eventually going to get to a point where you're receiving. But the fact of the matter is, it's like if we keep going at it, that we're doing things not for the joy and the pleasure of doing them, like we don't actually ever reach that point. Yeah. And what I feel like that a lot of times it like there might be that, that they think they'll eventually receive. But I think that people because I think at one point I had that in me and that I coach with a lot of people that have that in them too. And then it's just like that it doesn't even that they just, and it's not even that they believe they're not worthy of receiving, that I feel like not all people are waiting for that point to receiving. They just think I'm a good person. I'm a nice person. I'm a helpful person. I'm a caring person. So I do these things and that's who I am. Right. So it's like, I think a lot of people probably some people are like, okay, I did this and they're waiting for it. Like, so are you going to come back for me one time now? Yes. There's that area. But I think there's some people that are just like, well, no, I'm a good, caring, mm -hmm. thoughtful person. So mm -hmm. I do all of these things and I pick up all the slap and I say yes to everything and I will do this and I will run this and I will pick that up and I will take care of you when this and then, yeah. But like a part of them is then, well, yeah, they probably is. A part of them is just waiting for someone else to step in, but they don't let it happen because they're like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I got you. And even though they're waiting for someone to be able to receive it, they don't allow it in. That was my experience, I think, when I had it. Yeah. That I did really want people to step in, but at the same time, I wouldn't let them. Right. Like, I'll drive you to the airport at 5 a.m., no problem. But I would not ask a damn soul to drive me to the airport at any time, even when I lived a mile away. Right. No, I mean, thank you for saying that because that is actually... And I maybe like, right, did want that, but I wouldn't acknowledge it in myself. That is exactly... That is like... you. And if someone volunteered, no, 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 I'm good. Yeah, you're you're nailing... You're nailing martyrdom right now. You're okay. nailing martyrdom. I had to take myself back to there. Wait a minute. Let Actually, me remember that lifetime ago when I was that. The thing too. I'm sure it lives in me in, in some oh, ways. Well. Sometimes for, I think for some of us, it's very overt. And then other times it's very subtle. Yeah. But I think the thing with the martyr, and you kind of touched on it too, is that um, the martyr waits for permission. So for us to give ourselves permission to create a new opportunity, to give ourselves permission to, um, to ask for help from others. It's like there's this, there's this waiting and this holding, like you're talking about resisting help mm. or not even thinking about asking somebody. Yep. And it's um, that kind of, you know, that mindset was what led me to being at this place of total physical and mental exhaustion where I was like, now I, I owe myself this trip. And then when I got on the trip and kind of finally just kind of stopped all the stuff that I had been avoiding by being the martyr, by being the one who always went above and beyond with work, suddenly I came face to face with what I was avoiding. 
And then from that experience, when I came back, um, came back home within, I'd say, a couple weeks, my grandfather went into hospice. So routine surgery didn't go as planned. Um, they were going to have to do another major surgery. And my grandfather was like, no more, like, can't, mm. this is too painful, can't take it. And so they moved him into hospice. And so I flew back to Iowa. And that was my first time of really being in space, you know, holding space with somebody close to me, you know, that was on their way to leaving this planet. Yeah. And that what I had gone to Bali to kind of experience was just like an opening of my heart and just a, a release of this stress suit that I had been wearing. It happened the moment I saw my grandfather there because he had had a stroke. So his eyes were, you know, his eyes were closed and um, he wasn't, he wasn't able to move at that point. And um, I just cried and cried and cried and cried. I just felt like my heart opening. It was yeah. like, that was what was necessary for me to because I was like, why can't I feel my heart? Why can't I connect? Mm. Which is why I had found my significance in my work up until that point is that's how I was connecting. That's how I was feeling in relationship to others. So when I was um, in hospice with my grandfather, still working, because that's what a martyr does. So when somebody that you love is there dying, it's like also going to have my responsibilities, right? And um, looking back on that, totally coping mechanism, mm -hmm. you know, it's like some type of normalcy. And he died um, probably like within, you know, a week. He was actually strong German guy. So and he's like there hanging there that whole time. I wasn't there. Um, I left the day before oh. um, the day before he died. But we would take turns holding his hand and he could still kind of communicate. He'd like kick his leg and he loved like Johnny Cash. And so my cousin came in and he's really musical. So we we're playing music and singing. And it was like, you know, when you have those experiences where it's like time completely loses its hold on you. And in that space, they had told you like, there was like, you know, he is leaving and you don't know when, but it's happening. Yeah. Like, so it's not like, so when you flew, we flew home. Yeah. Or I yeah flew home. Yeah. Like you knew like, okay, He's going to be gone, but you said your goodbyes or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I said my goodbyes. And while I was there, something else really significant and were happened. Were you very close with your grandfather? Yeah. Yeah. What was your relationship with him or who was he to you besides he, your grandfather? You know, like, yeah. What was he for you? He, um, so I had um, just one set of grandparents. My father's parents were, um, had, had died before I was born. And so this was like, you know, my, my only, you know, grandparents that I had grown up with. And I went to school, um, college in Iowa, just about maybe 30 miles from where my grandparents live. So they were the ones giving me, you know, like gas money and Aww. I was going to do my laundry and they were, my grandfather was very musical and could always make and create things with his hands. Um, he had a great sense of humor. He loved music. So like polka and bluegrass <laughs> and Johnny Cash and Merle Haggard. So, um, and he loved being out in nature. He loved his family and he represented like just strong, really beautiful values. And then also um, there was like a tenderness to him that I think I could catch glimpses of and feel. 
And I think towards the end when he couldn't really necessarily hear and he was in a lot of pain, it's like, there's no holding back. It's like, you can totally access that. So yeah, he's, when I think of him, I just think of his strong hands hmm. and like what he, he created a lot of woodworking things for me too. So it was really beautiful. So then what was your grieving process like or what? So here's what happened. So this is kind of like the precipice to like the, the big, the big death experience. Okay. So, so that was just, yeah, part, <laughs> this, this was just, the, this was just the intro. Okay. Um, and while I was there, something significant happened because my dad um, was back at my grandparents' house, which was about 30 miles from the hospital. And he was going to come and drive me to Des Moines to the airport. And I was like, no, 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 I've got it. I'm just going to rent a car. Like back in that time, I was like totally sustainable because I didn't want to ask. Why? No, you cannot drive 30 minutes to right? me. So I going got- back to the martyr, like, no, you can't drive me to the airport. Now we're full circle with your airport story. So it's like, no, I got it. I was like, uh, yes, I understand. Like, don't go out of your way. I will drive myself to the airport. And he's like, are you sure? Like, I'll come and get you. And I was just like, you're totally driving out of your way. It's fine. Also, I'm like, my heart is breaking and I just need some alone time. And so um, that, I didn't know it then, but that would have been my last opportunity to see my dad. Wow. And I think back to that time and how, what an asshole. Like, I that could have been my last experience. Yeah. And I was so open and so raw yeah. to be able to have that kind of just that physical presence with my dad. And so I missed that opportunity because, you know, Martyr was there and wanted to drive her own damn self to the airport. So um, 45 days after my grandfather passed away, my dad was in uh, a really traumatic accident mm. and died immediately. Immediately. And that was so shocking. Yeah. Um, that the my sister who lives in Fallbrook came to deliver the news and she came to my door and it was like, it was like after like between eight, nine o'clock on a school night. And I was just like, my brain couldn't even comprehend why she was on my front door. I was like, did something happen? Did you and your husband get into a fight? What's going on? Like I couldn't even think of yeah. like what could it possibly be. And she's like, Libby, dad's been in an accident. And I was like, okay, all right, great. Like, let's, I'm just immediately thinking like, let's get a flight. Let's get back there. What hospital is he he in? He's in Iowa too? He's in Iowa too. So then uh, my sister goes, he's, he's dead. And I was like, like it, it, that moment, what I'd read about and what I'd heard people talk about. I had that experience, you know, where I felt like I left my body. I saw myself like shift into this total, totally in denial of what was happening. It was like I fell to the floor, started screaming so much so that my neighbor thought I was being attacked and called the police to come and do like a welfare check. But like I was completely completely left. Like there was no logic. Nothing was happening. And what I kept saying, there was no logic, but you were feeling it. it oh, sounds. I was feeling yeah. it. hundred. I, I immediately went into this just total rejection. And what I kept saying over and over was it's too soon. It's too soon. Huh. And what I was thinking it's too soon because the relationship 
that I've always wanted to have with my dad, I now wasn't able to have because he was no mm. longer physically here. And what was that relationship or what, like, what, what that came up? Did you feel like you guys didn't get along or you weren't connected with him? The, so it's what not did you feel like we, you had like, missed out on? It's not that we didn't get along. Um, and I would say I, most of the people that come through my program um, also say this as well, is that there's this desire to be really seen and heard by our parents. Mm. And, um, and my dad, so um, I, I feel like I understand my father more now in death than I did when he was alive. My dad's parents were killed in a drunk driving accident when he was in Vietnam. So he lost his parents oh. when he was 22. And while he's away fighting in Vietnam? Yeah. So when he was in Vietnam. And so he, um, his parents were on their way back from a fishing trip and were killed head on by a drunk driver. That's even like he's away in this intense environment and then is going to come home eventually from that and then not have his parents. Yeah. At a young man at like 22. Yeah. And so me losing my father at the time I was 39 and I know how devastating it was for me, the sudden impact of that. Like I think anytime there's an accident, death is death. It's, a, it's an impact any way you look at it. But with the um, just the sudden it, my father's death was sudden also. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. I, yeah, I can kind of, my, and it was interesting. I was like really listening because there was like some correlations. I was that day leaving for my first tour in Australia. That was when I was a professional sound engineer mm -hmm. and it was a red eye flight because I was flying to Australia and I was, um, it was a tour where I was I had done some tour managing before, but I wasn't, there was going to be a tour manager in Australia, but I was in charge of like, I was bringing the money, like the per diems. I was bringing like money that was deposited into my account. I was responsible for some things that were there and I was getting all my stuff together. Um, and uh, I went to yoga in Encinitas, uh -huh. where we are right now yes. recording this and got out of yoga class. And there was a missed call from my sister who I didn't. Like we didn't have, like, we just weren't like talking on the phone that much. So it was an odd thing too. Or I don't even know if it was a missed call. I can't remember. I feel like it was a missed call and a voicemail that I didn't understand. And I was like, that's weird. What's Kara calling me for? And I called her back and she, I'm like in my car driving <laughs> post yoga. And she tells me that our dad is dead or was found dead. Wow. I don't remember the exact thing. And my mind went to denial, but more so because I'm like, I'm supposed to be getting on a plane to Australia. I still, I, I still needed to go to the bank to withdraw the money that was put in wow. my account to give these people. So I was like, okay, okay, I'm supposed to be on a flight tonight. Dad's dead. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, I got to go to the bank. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, and I had a really great relationship with my father. Mm -hmm. um, and we talked all the time. So it was like, I got to go to the bank. My dad's dead. I don't know. I called like the artist manager and was like, hi. So uh, my father's been found dead, but I still want to go on tour. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, I'm going to the bank. I don't know what I'm doing. 
I need to go to home, I guess, to Ohio. Like, so, but I went into like organizational mode and I did like go to the bank, did this. And I had to meet someone else that was going to be flying on that flight. Like they found, we found, I found a flight I could fly that night to Ohio instead of Australia. They changed my flight. So I would meet them like after the funeral or whatever. But it was like, I went into organizational mode and I even got home and was in organizational mode. The flight, I didn't break down until I was at the funeral and was still at the funeral convincing myself like I wanted to cry had not yet cried and was like can't cry Trisha it's your own fucking dad's funeral Trisha cry can't cry Trisha yeah like whatever and I finally allowed myself to and it was like the most like animalistic crying sobbing and in my side it was like just you need to lay down on the floor yeah (laughs) can't do it you're laying down on the floor and like at, it was, I think, at the end of the ceremony or whatever. Like, still, so it wasn't like in the middle, but it still was like people are like there to still talk. And I was just like, let, I allowed myself to be like, let, let go. But he was, it was an accident where really weird, but he ended up um, like slipping and hitting his head, which by the way, they didn't know. All they said was like, your father's been found dead in his car with a head contusion. So that's all we knew. So while I was home there also, it was investigative mode of like finding of stuff. What are they saying? Blah, blah, blah. So what they, what they ended up coming up with was that it was icy out. He slipped and hit his head. His head started bleeding because there's blood on the car too. Put his hand to his head, the, then touched the car, got into his car and didn't close the door all the way and died of hypothermia. Oh. So he was found in his parking lot. Oh. I'm laughing now, but like I was like, it was like that. Was, I don't know what your father's accident, but it was a total like mind fuck is like, wait, but what even happened? Yeah. Yeah. But I, so I ended up flying from the funeral to tour and I was a, a mess. And then I finally ended up leaving the tour and that's what ended up. I never did sound again. <laughs> well, no, I did. I did, but I was like, I have to leave this tour. I can't do it anymore. I don't, I need to do something else with my life. But that's actually what started the path of your joyologist was like, I'm real, I'm an expert at taking care of my body and mind. Yeah. I need to put things out in the world to help others because like it was, life is real fucking short. I just got that. And I was traveling every day and seeing people, even the people that were winning Grammys, selling out 10,000 people a night around the world that they weren't happy and enjoy. So that's what like was my father's passing was the start of me being like, I must do more with my life. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now back to you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you. I'm so happy. Um, like, first of all, for your journey and that reflection and like, you're absolutely right that there are some similarities there just in term of you know, I think it's like, especially, um, how old were you when your dad died? Uh, it was 2008. So 27, 27. Wow. I believe. Yeah. I was born in 81. (laughs) Yeah. You know, one of the things that, um, everybody knows all of your details now, um, (laughs) one of the things that we say, um, in grief recovery is that we, we don't say, I know how you feel because I don't know how you feel. Yeah. All I can remember is how I felt at the time of my own loss. Yeah. And I think that in the work that I do with grief recovery is, we actually learn kind of this whole new way of communicating because most of what people say to you after you've experienced a loss is, and I guess we can swear on here because you just did, is we say intellectually accurate, but emotionally fucking useless. Yeah, it is. It's hard. And I remember in my 
grieving period, which took, I don't even know how long or the levels of it in years. And I went right to it. Like I was like, okay, got to quit tour, got to deal with this. And I, you went to, it's not time yet. I went to where my dad's life was and what it had happened and everything. I was like, I know that this is, it's fucked up and I really miss my dad and he's not going to be there for these things in my life. Yeah. But I can see how somehow this makes sense for his life and where he was at and what they were happening. So I immediately went to acceptance, Mm -hmm. but it still then was like layers and layers of grief. But I also remember being like, wow, this is what it's like. Cause I, and I remember my reference was somehow, I guess Angelina Jolie's mother must have passed away oh, yeah. a couple years before that or something like that. And I just remember sort of being like still mourning her mother, still mourning her mother. Like, I don't remember how that was, but in my mind I was like, I fucking get it. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> just like, you don't know how it's going to hit you or how long it's going to affect you. And this of losing someone close to you. And especially a parent. I mean, with, um, you know, even when sometimes I'm working with clients that, you know, their, their parent has been terminal for like a year, six months, two years, five years. And so there's already been this grieving process, but then when the parent actually, you know, whoever we love, whether it's a parent or a partner or a friend, when the actual time of death happens, like there's something that happens in the settle. So it's like the when we talk in grief recovery, it's like what keeps us kind of stuck in like ruminating is when we look back and we life review that relationship, everything that we wish was different, better, or more, those undelivered communications, and then the unmet hopes, dreams, and expectations. And so even, you know, like people will say, but they lived a, they lived a happy life. Like, you know, they really went out on a high note. Absolutely. Like, even if you had a great relationship with the person who died, there's still going to be things that are not going to be, that are not going to happen now that they're not physically here. Yeah. And so we, like as human beings, we're really not taught how to navigate loss. We're taught how to acquire things. Oh my gosh, manifest this, manifest that. But like, we don't really get any education on what do we do when we lose them? Yeah. And that is when I was, after my dad died, And I went through that initial shock. And then like you, I went into, okay, what needs to be done first mode? Because I had to fly back to Iowa. My sister flew back, taking care of my mom, the house, all the things that go with it. I, when I got back and I started to kind of, you know, sit with like all the grief that was coming up and I realized I had no tools and I was at the Chopra center. (laughs) Like I had all these certification, all these things. And I was like, I have nothing for grief. Mm. And I felt like an alien. And I started to be like, if I feel like an alien and I'm at the Chopra Center, how is everybody else navigating this? And that's what set me off into really consuming everything I possibly could around grief and loss and then recognizing loss happens. There's 41 different types of loss, actually probably more than Mm. that now. There's intangible loss, like loss of childhood, loss of safety, loss of trust. And if we don't get really clear and also put our attention on it, we take that into every job, every relationship, and it manifests in drinking, alcohol, drugs, work. And what do you mean by if we don't get really clear, like if we don't acknowledge that loss? So acknowledging, and then also, um, I think there's some really great, there's so much 
from yoga philosophy to consciousness-based practice where we're, we're looking in and we're studying our thoughts. What has actually worked for me because I was doing that for 20 years, it wasn't until I started doing the grief work that I realized the thoughts I was having were from those undelivered communications from loss I experienced as a child, early childhood trauma. So wishing when I look back on my childhood, wishing it was different, better, or more. Can you give, would you be open to me giving an example of like, not, not necessarily like where you're wishing your life was better or more or whatever, childhood, but when you're saying like, my thoughts were going back to that. Like, can you say like, oh, I was had this thought and then I realized it's tied to that. Just to help other people that, yeah. that they could track their thoughts like so that. Here, so here's a, here's a pretty like universal thought. I'm not worthy. Right. So if you really feel into I'm not worthy, when is the very first time that you can so remember? So when you can recognize that's coming up in your life, like I'm doing this or maybe I'm not asking for a ride because I'm not <laughs> worthy. <laughs> To the airport. That's, this is me <laughs> when I realize my own shit. <laughs> this is Patricia right now. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I worked through that. And that's why I'm calling myself like that. I was like, I'm the self-love queen, but yet I'm not a- open to receiving. Right. Because apparently I'm telling myself that I'm not worthy of love or that I'm afraid they won't love me. So I'm not going to give them the opportunity to in case I could be denied. So I'm going to say over here and say, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I am so self-contained and so strong and so independent. I don't need you. So here, I want (laughs) to ask you, how well is that working for you? No, that's... I. Exactly. I worked through that years ago. <laughs> well, it still definitely shows up. But yeah, that was me realizing that's yeah. why when you said I'm I am more I'm not worthy, worthy that yeah. I was tying it back into my original example because I saw that in myself years ago. Yeah. I ask for stuff. All, I'm like a queen asker now. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Which and I like that's one of the things I lead a six week week group coaching programs a couple times a year to be your own geology and that's like a big thing that I work on because so many people have like a hard time receiving. Yeah. And then breaking that down. And for me, that was like, what the fuck? Yeah. I love my, I, I started my self love journey at 15 when I chose to live instead of committing suicide. Like wow. I have learned all these lessons. I have done all this work. I fucking love myself. Right. What do you mean, Trisha, that this could be that you're not allowing yourself to receive? <laughs> what could that be tied to? Yeah. I mean, in that, <laughs> like that, it was like, I'm not worth it. I mean, I totally get it. And it's, that was a big, like, that I had to then confront that and allow myself to see that acceptance because like, but no, I love myself. I do affirmations. I share affirmations. Like, I don't, this, you know, that my breakthrough with that happened years ago, but I was already on, you know, this sort of, you know, different path and evolution. But Yeah. And that's, I'm open about sharing that and being so blunt with these things because in order for other people to recognize it, hopefully in themselves. Yeah. That it's like, you know, but like getting that, my not allowing people in and to accept and help me and me being now what you're saying, the martyr that I guess I might've been acting that way. I had never used or saw or understood that word in that way. What that was for me because I was putting up a protective like barrier so that I wouldn't get denied because really deep down, I believed 
I might not be worthy. Right. I might not be accepted, which is then still the belief of I'm not. You are very subtle. <laughs> very subtle. Very subtle, not worthy there. Yeah. But that's because that's how it shows up. It doesn't show up as like a screaming, I'm not worthy. So that's why I'm going to say no or not ask for help. Hey, it's me, Trisha, your host, taking a brief pause here because I had to remind you, I had to let you know that my daily inspiration app called Own Your Awesome is changing people's lives. And I'm not just saying that. (laughs) People send me messages daily telling me, is this app magic? How is it always sending me exactly the message I need? And I really don't know, but I will believe that I am magic (laughs) and that I created something magical. You are, it, this one um, cracks me up. I've had the Own Your Awesome deck for years and didn't expect the app's cards to be so much better, but they are. I mean, <laughs> the app, the deck itself is still great, but I'm really happy to know that someone else believes that the app is even better. Each one is so thoughtful and heartwarming, and I love the daily notifications, so you don't even have to think about it. Another one... Love this app, a great way to start your day and set your attentions, and I love that I can share them as well. Yep, right in the app, you can hit a share button, easily send it as a text message, an email, share it on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, super easy. So what it is, it's an app you can come to at any time, just like, hmm, I don't know, I just feel like I need a boost. Today, I got, I allow myself to see myself as the me that deep down I know that I am with no limitations, with no shame, with no judgments. All right. And then I have that message to carry me through the rest of the day. If I don't like it, I can swipe to another one or hit the show me a card button. (laughs) This one says, putting off hard things doesn't make them easier. Okay, okay, okay. So this one's calling me out on maybe somewhere I've been putting off something hard. So you can set a daily notification. It tells you when to come check the deck. Maybe it's or the app, the virtual deck. Maybe it's first thing in the morning. Maybe it's 2 p.m. when you get tired. Maybe it's before bed. But you can come to it anytime. There's even a journal section. So you can write about the card. You can hit favorites. You can just journal about anything. Okay, go get it called Own Your Awesome. It's only $3.99. There's no ads. There's no upcharges. There's no anything except awesomeness, inspiration, and empowerment, and deep insights. Okay? Open up your app. Own Your Awesome. Did you type it in? O-W-N. Okay, you got it. All right, back to the episode. (laughs) You heard this before that perfectionism is like the like if you experience a lot of shame, if you have a lot of shame, then perfectionism is how you might show up in the world. Ah, I see that for sure. So, and, and it's so powerful. Because it's like building up these layers of, if I make everything as perfect as I can, then I'm going to be like, you know, like, Avoid let me like plaster over this version I don't want them to see of me or make sure it's good enough to be somewhat accepted or something. Yeah. So kind of like what you were saying in your, the self-love and kind of like the very subtle, you know, I'm not worthy. It's like you create it very conditionally so that you can avoid feeling that rejection. Mm, Yeah. And um, the kind of piece too, because like going back into the I'm not worthy is like I'll find like with many clients and also myself in this journey, because I'm always, I'm still always doing this work is if we're always in a constant state of mind where we're wishing something was different, better, or more, we have unresolved grief. Yeah. 
And so that's what I was like, we started this by you saying, give me an example. And I jokingly brought up my example and then went down my tailspin of evolving <laughs> or seeing, seeing that in myself. So yeah, so you're saying what, what I was asking where you brought up, I'm not worthy, that that's a thought that can show up that you're saying is tied into some... Yeah. So that could be, so especially like when we, um, like looking through the lens of grief, it's like grief and loss, you know, usually, um, I would kind of look at people's first like seven years, zero to seven, sometimes the first loss that we experience. I was like, do we look at mine? I'm like, even though I, even though I recognize this, that I can see that like, Hey, I have, I have, which I'm sure many people carry all around and I'm not worthy. And even though I've conscious of it, of course, it still comes up. Yeah. And that like the I'm not worthy, the way that we can kind of like translate that to loss is if there was a loss of safety, these are the intangible losses, mm-hmm. loss of safety, loss of trust. Maybe there was some type and of abuse I don't early fully on. I don't remember, like, I don't remember my childhood very well. I'm like, mm. and I don't know, like, if it's just like remembering things through pictures is actually what we mostly do, or if that's my experience. Do you have a, um, while you may not remember, actual details do you remember feeling? Well, so this is, I know that I have or had a somewhat issue, whereas uh, my mom worked a lot to provide for us. And she was an amazing mother. We had amazing babysitters. But I think, you know, I think that there might, could be some things tied in like wanting to be seen as a child because my parents were busy providing so that we could have things, but I didn't feel. I actually now it's so long ago, and I've had like I did so much stuff even like early on. Um, when I was in college, I took a philosophy of love class, and I thought it was going to be like romantic love, and it was about like love, and we had to write down the narcissistic aspects of our parents and ourselves and stuff like that. So like going back to college, then I ha- I like remember. Um, no, I don't even know what I was saying. That, oh, yeah. So I don't remember. It's so long ago now, but like we weren't told I love you or hugged or anything because that's how my mom was. Ra- and that's, this was stuff I got to break through in college because I had to have these conversations where it's like, well, ma- that's how we did things because that's how your mom was raised. Mm-hmm. And so, so I didn't feel loved. And I remember going to my friend's house and I was like, her mom's making her like apples and peanut butter and this and blah, blah, blah. And there's so much love in that, like a visual love. And my mom was providing love and I work really hard so that we can have these things and go on vacation and have this house with a pool. Like we weren't like wealthy, like, you know, but like that was, and that was something learned from her childhood and growing up. So perhaps it was just that, that I didn't have the feeling and that needing to be seen even like back then where, where I was, of course, but that perhaps as a child, I was like, hi, you guys are really busy working and providing. So you, what you just said, I don't, I'm like, I'm just and throwing it, stuff out there. Yeah. So I, if it's okay, I want to give you just like a yeah. little bit of insight here. <laughs> I'm like, that's why I put myself out there. <laughs> I'm like, do we use me <laughs> as an example? We're going to absolutely use you. So, um, I see this a lot, um, with, when we talk about our childhoods is that, Um, especially if we, you know, whatever relationship we have with our parents now is we will say that our parents, we will kind of justify why our parents 
were doing what they did. Yeah. When of course I'm doing that now because I'm recording this and I, my mom will listen to everything and follow me everywhere <laughs> because she loves me so much and I love and her. Mom, so I, I don't you. want you, mom, to be out there crying that you did something wrong. Did mom didn't do anything wrong. This is not about blaming. This is actually... <laughs> so I do realize I made a point to keep saying that I learned then afterwards right. or like exactly. that, that now, but growing up, yes, I likely was just like, tell me you love me. Why is anybody here? So here's how we, here's how it would translate that into like grief recovery or working with loss is that what's really important is that I tell people in any of my groups that like, we don't ever say they were doing the best they could with what Mm. they had. We don't, we, I actually, that's completely banned. Here's why. When we say that, we're invalidating our yeah, experience. Yeah, no, that's why I said good is like, because I understood without even your example, because that's what we as humans so often do. We'll be like, I feel less, but it's okay, but blah, 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 and like cover it up. And that I was, con- I was conscious I was doing it yeah. because I knew my mom was listening. If we were having this conversation in private, I might not <laughs> have had the necessary to be like, mom, I love you. You're okay. I see you. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, it's the, 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 the thing is, is that it actually isn't anybody's fault. Yeah. But it is our responsibility and how we responded or reacted. And that's what grief recovery really is. is Which that, is hard because now you're like, well, I was fucking one to seven. What do you mean it was my responsibility? Exactly. <laughs> well, and, and here's the thing. And it's more, think of it more about as responsibility as an adult. <laughs> Got it. Right. To heal it and work through so it. So when we're kids, kids, we're literally responding with like whatever tools we have available. And then as we emotionally mature, what we find is if we don't bring attention to that, we're still responding like the seven-year-old. Yeah. And we're 42. Yeah. You know, I see that. So this is like um, if, and I I share this with people because I'm I'm I think because of the experience that I went through after my dad's death, which was so profound and totally changed the trajectory of where my life was headed. I mean, I started my company Liberated, and we do coaching, teaching, online workshops, and I'm really dedicated to helping people get complete with their past so they can fully live in the present. Mm. Part of that is stop invalidating your experience. So like when somebody yeah. tells you, you don't really feel that way. This is how you feel. It's like, no one knows My what you know. My eyes just got really big. It's like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, don't tell somebody how they feel. No one knows what you know. And when people try to give you advice. And nobody knows your own personal experience because of those things. And like what triggers me might not trigger someone else because of things that have been said or done or happened in my past. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. And the the piece too, and this is like, um, you know, I'm sure you use this with coaching too. And I, I bring this into the grief piece is that circumstances don't make us feel a certain way. How we think about those circumstances does. So thoughts create feelings and from feeling we act and then we get our results. Yeah. And that's what I was just about to, when we, something that sparked that made me want to ask you about you know, I'm good, big about intention of the word choices that we use, but of course I'm not perfect and I speak very fast. So things come out, but I try to be intentional with word choice and what those words mean because of what we're telling ourselves. And, you know, when we were just saying like, you can't, no one can make you feel or something a certain way. Well, that's what I, I've recognized, you know, in myself, I, I will catch myself saying like, what would be the phrasing? Cause I'm trying to get the phrasing that I would call myself out on and not how I would want to actually say it. Like, maybe it would be like, you're intimidating mm-hmm. to me, but it, or like, she intimidated me. 
where it's like she didn't actually intimidate you. It's like she, the way that she is or how you are, shows up that in a way that makes me feel intimidated. So even though it's like, so is that, you know, I was like, wait, are we saying the same thing back to this what this other thought I believe? And then I think that we somewhat were, were right? We're like, nobody, because you could then be defensive. Well, like, but you don't know what I feel. Like, no, I feel intimidated. So you did that to me. Right. Because nobody can tell me what I feel, but what but what I see is like, well, even if that person was acting or talking in an intimidating way, it's on us on how we feel and translate that. And it's in what you're saying is like <laughs> such a huge concept. I know that I'm even like, what am I? This is what I'm trying to say, right? But it is big. What you are saying is And intimidation like, is a big one because it's like, of course, like I can act intimidating on purpose, trying to intimidate you. But that doesn't mean but it's still up to you if you feel intimidated. Once again, it's, it's usually not a choice. It's here's, it's here's choice. what's true for me. Okay. okay. And so I'm not saying like for you or anyone that's listening, this is true for you, but like what I truly believe and where I find the most freedom and liberation is to believe that I have the ultimate authority yeah. of how I choose to feel the words I choose to speak and how I choose to show up. Now I'm constantly in refinement. There's a lot that I still have to work on, but for you to to move into nothing's your fault, but everything's your responsibility in terms nothing's of how you, your fault. Nothing's your fault, but, but everything's how you, re, your responsibility. Let me rephrase that. Nothing's your fault, but how you choose to react or respond yeah. to what happens is your responsibility. Yeah. And what that means is moving from victim mentality yeah. into being empowered. Yeah. And there's a lot that we can gain and have benefit of being the victim because we don't have to take responsibility. Mm -hmm. But it's, uh, yeah, I'm like, we can gain and benefit, but not really. Not really. It can feel like the choice, well, we're the better choice in the, in different, the moment. Better, more. Yeah. And we're putting that on somebody else. That, well, yeah. When you were just saying that, it reminded me of like, we well, yeah, had sort of like then the fact that like we can then by taking ownership of our feelings, then we can transform them because one person might be coming at you trying to intimidate you that could create you feeling intimidated but there also can be the fact of like you see someone i'm saying you me anybody yeah. out there like you see someone that you are intimidated by but they aren't doing anything purposely like they're just themselves like maybe they're a strong woman that's speaking up yeah that is doing something you want to do and you can understand it so you're intimidated by them but like that person didn't create that. It's just that that you are reacting. So here's another piece to what you're saying. And this is, it's not about what people say or do. It's about what we make it mean. Yeah. So you're using the term, term in, in term. Yeah. I was just like sticking with that one since I threw it out there. Yeah, intimidation. And I think people feel that, especially people who are, have, are challenged by communicating their voice, which again, I would go back to childhood. At what point did you become the silent child and you stopped speaking up and using your voice? And how does that affect you now as an adult? But it's this whole thing that I'm so passionate about is really uncovering What's behind our communication? What's behind what we do? It all comes down to our thoughts and our beliefs. So it's not about what you say to me. Even if you say to me like, oh my God, this was amazing. This was so powerful. It's like, I can make that, I can make that. Yeah, mean. you can't not, you can like, I get that too, where it's like I sometimes, and I talked about this in another conversation where I often find myself like wanting to be acknowledged, wanting to be thanked, wanting to like that, like craving that. But even once I get the biggest acknowledgement, like I could ever 
see that I'm not receiving it because it's me that needs to, again, be the one accepting, oh, Trisha, yeah. you are enough. You are worthy of this. That like, so that, yeah, like, so I can go, oh my God, Libby, that class was transformational. You're amazing, whatever. And that could just not land anywhere on you unless you are believing that about it and yourself. Is that true? Yes. And to go kind of full circle to what we were talking about at the very beginning is right now you and I are having two very different experiences based off of our past experiences and what we made those mean. Yeah. And that is a matter of perspective. Truth is all relative. So it's like if... um And this comes down to the belief system. Like my, what I keep saying, what's true for me right now is I keep saying I'm capable. I'm capable because my belief before is like, I can't do it all. I can't do it all. Mm. So belief before, like that was an underlying thought that you've always carried. That was a belief system is like, there's not enough time. I can't do it all. Oh, I'm like, that's interesting since you felt like you were being a martyr taking so much on. Because my, I had like a reoccurring of I don't need you was always mine, which I uncovered obviously many years later, which I then just last year realized I don't need you came from nobody cares about me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I had built up the I don't need you because then I don't have to face nobody cares about me. Right. Well, and I mean, that's perfect. Like you're seeing how you created one belief to actually support so you don't ever have to feel the other belief. And I think that's, I, I resonate with that that too. And that carried me. Yeah. And I'm sure too, like that you're whatever the, like for me, the, I don't need you, like created some amazing things for me in my life. Like until it didn't. Exactly. (laughs) Until I realized, why doesn't it feel like anybody knows me or like nobody like because you're not letting them know you because you have these borders built up because you don't need them. Even though I was like the person that everybody called, I was so there for everyone. Such a great friend. But why is nobody like really there for me? Because they don't need you because you're put or because you don't they don't really know you or know that you need them because you put out I don't need you. (laughs) So it wasn't like I don't need you. Everyone stay away. And I was isolated. It was like. I'm like a superhero. You're like, I got this. I got everyone. I don't need you. (laughs) But I wasn't happy because I wasn't allowing to be contributed to, to receive, to be seen. (laughs) Such a huge, huge thing. I'm like like, laughing and crying. Yes. (laughs) Anyway. I think a lot. I mean, I think a lot of people can resonate with that. I want to, I'm like, we could talk about this stuff because we seem to have very similar (laughs) thoughts to believe systems way of talking about things forever. But let's get back to like you and again, and like you, did you, the grief recovery method, is that what it's called? Yes. So is this something you discovered or you founded or you jumped, like you found and then took it on as your own? Where did, and what was the process of you find, like you said that that happened, you started reading everything you could. Like, I don't have any tools on loss. I'm like trying to get back to where we were at one point. Back to, <laughs> tell me, t- let's talk about death. Um, so I, so uh, as succinct as I can with this, with the grief recovery method. So for about two years, I just started consuming, reaching out, doing my own exploration because I felt like such an alien And I also felt like I was going through this deep, deep transformational process that unless my dad and my grandfather had died, I don't think I would have been able to access that part of myself. Mm -hmm. Like it was like a total rewire of my brain. Um, And I truly don't, I I think I could have maybe gotten there in 50 years of doing what I was doing, but it was like 
dad came in and like, I truly believe that the day my dad died is the day that I chose to start living truly. Mm. And, um, that meant getting very emotionally honest as well. I do want to say that like you have always had or said the line, what's the best that can happen, right? What's the best that could happen? I believe in the timeline of me knowing you though, that that was before your dad died. Yeah. So what's the best that could happen was created because I realized I grew up in an environment where I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh, like I was so very hyper vigilant and also just constantly on the outlook for threat. And I realized, oh my God, this is actually not moving me into the direction of like peace and joy. And so I consciously started like shifting my internal dialogue to what's the worst case scenario is going to be there. I don't know if it'll ever go away, but I'm going to feed what's the best that could yeah. happen. No, and I love that. And I was just bringing it back up and remembering because it's sort of like you're saying that's when I chose to live and all that. But it's not like Libby was in a like, Libby was conscious and was thinking of things like this before your dad died. Yeah. So like you were already living in what's the best that can happen, what's the best that can happen, but still then really got faced. I was, with, in, or like, I was definitely in the what's or, the best that could happen. to put yourself into that space. But I had some space. demons. Well, yeah. And that's, I mean, we all like, <laughs> that's what it's even. It's like, I'm like, no matter how conscious and powered yogi, whatever you are, like, I think there's always still going to be like work to be done, no matter how much dread, you know, like dragons, you sl- like, whatever, like it just as, yeah. And that's what I, and for me, I feel like that's like kind of, I don't not going to, I was about to say enlightenment, but it's not like, I'm not saying I'm enlightened, but it's sort of just like, that's where it is. Like yeah. realizing, just being conscious of what's happening, realizing, you know what? Their fear, doubts, worries, shame, all of these things and memories and insecurities and things are always going to keep popping up, but it's just, we keep paying attention to what's happening in our mind. And then you're going to be choosing joy, choosing to be in the moment, choosing to work through that stuff. But it's like, I just feel like that's where I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm good. Cause I realize I'm like facing the stuff forever. So I'm not going to like ignore it, but it's just like, I don't, for me, that created so much freedom in my life, realizing like it's never going away. We just get yes. better and better at working and moving through it and learning, yes. oh, this is that. Oh, it's that. I'm not worthy story. Oh, this is that. Nobody cares about me. Bird flying around. Oh, this isn't. It's still painful. You're like, ah, oh, fuck, I got to move through that again. That's what's slowing me down. <laughs> yes. And thank you for saying that. And I hope that you continue to say that as much as possible because I think- That's really the point of the podcast was like, and that's why I'm having conversations with people that intrigue me that in different ways that oh, I've excelled. I intrigue you? Yes. Well, why'd you, think, why'd that, you think I was here? I'm making that mean something <laughs> right now. <laughs> what are no, you making I, it mean? I'm making it mean that um, I, I think when you, when you notice people, places, and things that spark joy and passion and alignment, it is so important right now that we lean into those. Yeah. Because I think so much attention is on what we don't want And I really want to move it. Not that we need to forget that, but like really putting attention on what you do want. And like you said, like really getting real. And I love your emotional honesty with what you're doing with your podcast and YouTube, because we are not setting people up for success. And when we tell them that like, you know, it's, you're going to positive affirmation yourself to death and like all the negative is going to go away. No, yeah, it's still going to be there, but what do you choose to feed and how are you managing your mind? What are you letting in and how are you taking the garbage out? Yeah. And it doesn't just happen. It is a moment by moment, day by day practice. Yep. And there'll be setbacks and bliss and all of it interweave. But yeah, that might like my point is, and in 
different areas of the podcast that I am, like people that, you know, people might see a success or that I'm interested in how they got to where they are, then I'm, I ask so many questions and I'm very curious. But the point in, in each one is to, to be clear that doubts and fears and worries and all these things exist for these people and they still do once they're at that level. And for you, I was very intrigued. I'm like, we've mostly been, we've had an amazing conversation, but I'm like, I haven't really truly gotten to your story, but we have yes. been talking about those emotions in many ways. Yeah. But yeah, I'm like every single person I talk to, I'm like, and we're going to need to have a second conversation. We're have to have a part two. <laughs> this is part one. Um, we might have to have a 10 part series actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. The time is freaking flying. Um, okay. I do have some questions that I want to ask that I'm asking everyone, but I also want to give you the space because I was like, I still haven't even gotten to, well, I guess we have, but like, yeah. So you were doing this work. Yeah. You discovered grief recovery so, method. Yes. Or- so um, I'll do as succinct as I can, but I feel like we have so much to talk about. So it's just flowing. I know. I'm like, but I also wanted to be <laughs> like, in the podcast, be like, and what is this amazing? Well, and you also can share about all the like things you do teach Kundalini. Yeah, I teach you said Kundalini you do coaching yoga. in different ways, and that you do mostly work as work on the path, like clearing out the past. I work on um, awareness, so it's like I know that's kind of like a oh, great another one of these aware. I'm like, all right, then let's get back to grieving. No, I'm just kidding. Exactly. Um, I mean, what I do is um, it's really... And in the grief, though, is that just people that are grieving? Like, do people come from all sort of... It's not just like death? Because how you had talked about the however 41 numbers, ways of loss. There's like over 40 different losses. So that... So this is why this work is so important to me is because when people think grief, they think of death of a loved one yes. or not so loved one. Yes. But it's um, end of relationship. It is the death of a pet. It is financial change. It is moving. It say, is job I'm change. Sure job stuff of like being let go or knowing like this isn't serving me anymore. I know that you're a mom. So I actually work with parents <gasps> oh, that they well, move from that. like, because there's this grief that happens that it people it's don't an really interesting talk about. Transition. Yeah. Where it's like, I no longer am like focused and fancy free. Yeah. Now I have a child and and they're like, but my child is healthy. I feel this No, it's shame. like the most beautiful thing, but it, it's definitely a transition. So that's a, that's a loss yeah. and it's natural and normal. Grief is the natural and normal reaction to loss. But what we have learned about it is so not natural and not helpful. So the, um, the grief recovery work that I do is I studied with the grief recovery method. So this is an actual method that's been around for 40 plus years. Wow. And I did the certification over a year ago and I've started working with most of my executive clients at some point when we get to like, there's, we get, cause we dig into beliefs. We did, you know, we dig into values. It's um, such an incredible process and we'll get to a point where it's like, there's unresolved grief. So then we'll work the method. Yeah. So I'll work with them one-on-one and then I do um, groups here. So it's an eight week process. Um, and then I'm working on my own course, which is like a culmination of everything that I've been studying. Also my own experience, because I'm getting so many requests to do it online. Yeah. So I want to take this online. Um, and so that's, that is, yeah, that's. Yeah. No, I was so, yeah. I mean, I, you been on my radar for years, even though we like barely have spent time together. But then when I saw like, well, what is this grief recovery method thing that that really interested me because you don't you so much loss happens and there's and you don't really see losses. that yeah 
Okay. First thing, I brought all my keychains for you to choose. Which message did you or are you choosing and why? Okay. So after, um, after our conversation right now, cause I feel like our, the way that our conversation has gone, um, is guiding me in the direction of, let me share what's in front of me. So, so fucking grateful. You don't need to share cause they can, you can go to shop.yourjaws.com and look for keychains. <laughs> okay, exactly. They're amazing. So I, um, gosh, you know, the only judge of me is me. <laughs> yes. I'm so glad. The only judge of me is me. Wow. Right. And that is like such a like profound and like, yep, it's our thoughts. It's all come back to us. This goes back into what we were talking about of like, you are, you are responsible for how you feel. Yep. Wow. That's my, this quote, one of the quotes on my arm represents my favorite quote, which is the only person who can make you feel inferior is yourself. Whoa. And so that when I learned that quote, it was so life changing for me. And that was like yeah, in 2000. And then it would also was able for me to see like, well, the only person can make me feel your wow, inferior is myself. Then that means the only person that can make me feel anything is myself. <gasps> so what we talked about, but I had that realization when I was like 22, when I learned that quote. Yeah. Wow. Of course it's still like, a constant unlayering. Oh my gosh, wait a minute. Can you say that again? I think everyone needs to hear that again. The only person who can make you feel inferior is yourself. And that's Eleanor Roosevelt. Both of my daughters have the middle name Rose to represent that quote because I wow. want them to remember that wow. for their lives. <laughs> and I love what you had to say is that is Any also- person who can make me feel anything is myself, which is how we were talking about wow. when I'm feel. you know, if you're feeling- no, I don't remember what, what was the example I was giving. Intimidated or the only person that can make me feel joy. The only person that can make me feel loved. The only person that can make me feel, you know, even if someone you is telling my me mind. that. <laughs> Seriously. Like the, in the way that you like articulated that and like really transmitted, that makes total Probably sense. Probably because it's like me feeling it. It's like, I'm not telling you like the only person like me. It's like everything I hope and in my sharing that has always been in my blogs and whatever is like, I'm talking to me. And everything I say oh, yeah. and that I am you, even though we're so different, all of us, it's like we all got these different layers of things and that for us to see the only person that can make me feel anything is myself, whether that be joy or inferiority, Whew. no matter what is happening. Okay. <laughs> what is a go-to of yours to raise your joy levels when you're not feeling on it? Like you got to go teach a class, you're going to work with a client, whatever it is. And you're like, you're not feeling there. What do you, what's a go-to thing for you to raise Kundalini your joy yoga. levels? Um, ego eradicator. So okay. ego eradicator, look it up. Um, you can go to the 3ho.org website, but ego eradicator is breath of fire, your arms overhead in a V. It can completely just three minutes can just shift your energy. It's so powerful. Awesome. Oh, a, a recent thing that I uh, wrote and realized for myself and I've been asking everybody is, so what I realized is what is easiest for me is not always what is best for me. Yeah. Can you see where to <laughs> apply that in your own life? What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. So um, what is easiest for me is sometimes giving people unsolicited advice. Oh. Um, and I'm recognizing that Unsolicited advice, like really go back to intimidating. Um, yeah. it, it doesn't create openness if and communication. Not open to, if someone's not saying, what's your advice on this? If they're not open to it, then a lot of times it can just create friction. Even if it's something they do maybe need to hear right. or want to hear. If they're not open to receiving it, 
And he, again, it can create more going friction. Going back to if it's something they do need to hear, says who? He says you. It's coming from right. you. <laughs> so like we're in this age of telling people, yeah. you know, and not And I really... nodded when you said that because <laughs> I still have to fight that. But that's something I had to see for a while ago for myself. And what made me see that is because I realized a lot of times I want a safe space to open up and talk. Yeah. And I don't want someone's advice or even opinion. And so I had to say that because I would have people, of course, you're opening up to somebody, then they think she wants my help. She wants my advice. She wants my support. And what I realized is when I was getting that, and I was like, no, 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 I just need to talk it out. Like, don't try to tell me what's right for me. Don't, because I don't need you. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I mean, that's me. Again, that came from my defensive, but also it was like, I realized that sometimes I just wanted a, a safe space and then I could ask. And what do you think? But I would react not great when someone was trying to help me when they're coming from a place of love, of course, and they were trying to give me advice. And so then I realized, then I want to watch when I'm doing that to other people. Right. And so then asking. That, or, and that too goes back to And the, just being that safe place for people to be heard is amazing. Being seen and heard and like that going back to the invalidation of experience, like when people say – like when we get upset because somebody like gives us unsolicited advice and then our friends say, well, they were just trying to help. And it's like, true. And I'm pissed off as a result. Like that's your experience. Yeah. And so I'm like a real advocate of like, let's start listening to each other and yeah. asking really good questions. Okay. So I cut you off. So that's what's easiest or what had you had seen being easier yeah. for you. What is best? Yeah. What is best for me? Listening. Yeah. Listening. Listening. And asking questions and noticing how there's parts of me that like want to leap through and like give advice from my limited perspective. Right. And how that's the old way of being. This is the lens I'm seeing it through. And this is what I would do in my version of your story that you're telling about you and how I'm applying it to my story of me. So this is what you should do. I'm I'm a coach. I'm not a consult. So I'm not going to consult. You know, I'm like, I want to coach and I want to like dig out in not only my friends, but in my clients because I believe that they know the answers. Yeah, the same, same. Or as I've even been like, what do I call myself? Mentor, coach. And I was like, I guess it is a coach because you're coaching them to get to them. But it's like, whereas I believe too, like the answers are inside you. I'm just helping you to get there. I'm not saying this is the route you need to take and do the this and do the that. And I'm like, I guess that is a coach. But I hate, I'm a, I can't figure out labels or anything. I'm just like, but I guess you're unlabeled. If you want to relate, just like, oh, back, joyologist. Okay, last thing, the working title for this podcast, because I'm still not sure if I'm sticking with it, is claim it. Claim it. Meaning that is up to us to claim that nobody can give us to us, no matter work or money or love or whatever, that we have to claim joy, claim sex, claim being enough, claim our worth ourselves. What are you claiming for yourself right now? <sighs> I'm claiming for myself right now focus. Mm. I claim focus. Um, I think in today's world, we're so completely overstimulated. Um, yeah. I think I have so many great ideas and so many things that I want to do. But what I find is I do a lot. I do a little with a lot yeah. instead of doing a lot with a little. So like what I'm claiming right now is focus because my mission and vision is to impact a million people around this mm. conversation of grief. And that is not going to happen by doing a little um, in a lot of places. Got it. I'm claiming focus. Love it. Yeah. Which to me just feels also like alignment. Yeah. I saw that line. Yeah. Alignment. <laughs> Dropping in. 
Thank you so much. Thank you. This was really <laughs> fun. It was really fun. We need to like not wait like seven years until we talk again. Well, now I have a podcast, <laughs> so I'll just be like, that's my excuse for like seeing people. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for the message and the awareness that you're bringing to the world. Oh, and thank you as well. And I accept that and I receive it. <gasps> Full circle. <laughs> I've gotten so much better as a receiver. <laughs> Woo. I got some, I shared some real deep stuff on that episode, which really feels normal for me. <laughs> but I'm hoping my sharing these like deep insights I realized about myself and stories I carried around with me that it helps you guys label some in your own life. For full show notes, go to yourjoologist.com slash podcast to find more about Libby. You can find her at liberated on Instagram. And on Facebook, her website is liberated.com. And to learn more about grief recovery, I will put a link in the show notes because it is too long for me to say. (laughs) But she is running a grief recovery program very soon and she runs them a couple times a year. Um, And yeah, I think it's super, super awesome. Please shout out the episodes. Tell us what ahas and insights you loved or had yourself. Um, I'm at Your Dryologist. You can find all things me, yourdryologist.com. My products are at shopyourdryologist or shop.yourdryologist.com. And yeah, you can buy any of my products. Like I have every guest pick a keychain from my line. I have an affirmation deck, mugs, journals, notepads, all sorts of different things. And... If you subscribe and rate the podcast, send me a screenshot and you're entered to win a box full of goodies. So send it to your dryologist at yourdryologist.com. Screenshot your review and be entered to win a box full of goodies. All right. So take a deep breath and think about what are you claiming for yourself right now? and send me a message. I'd love to know, and it makes it more powerful for you to say it out loud, even if you're typing it into a screen. (laughs) All right, and make sure to own your unique awesome.